Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me this evening, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, all. And we're also joined by Matthew Flanagan, the historical gamer on YouTube. Hey, everyone. And uh, tonight we are running away to sea in picaresque studios Nantucket, a whaling RPG based or loosely based on uh, Herman Melville, Melville's Moby Dick. Um, so, Troy, you were you were the person who sort of uh, said we should do a show around this. You've been playing it quite a bit uh, on Steam these last few weeks. Uh, what is Nantucket, and how do you make a strategy game out of Moby Dick? Uh, Nantucket is a strategy RPG whaling game. It is uh, like a lot of games you end up, you are just about, you're running a crew. You have your ships and you upgrade your ships and you try to get bigger ships so you can kill more whales and make more money. So you can kill more whales and make more money. Uh, it's got a bit of a business sim to it with some role-playing elements. Combat is run through cards where you combat. You're hunting the whales. Uh, you'll have different crew with different skills and these skills will allow you to kill whales faster, to avoid getting hurt at sea more often. Occasionally you'll run into pirates or landlubbers who don't like you all that much, and you're only land combat, uh, which, isn't, which still uses the hunting cards, and that's kind of, we can talk about that in a bit later. But it, you create, you, your crew accrue skills as they level up, and these skills decide which cards you can play. And these cards are based on d d dice rolls. Uh, you will have six uh, slots, each one representing, you know, the face of a die. And usually three of those will be a default activity. And you can pick up other skills along the way. For example, your hunters can pick up the skill to fasten, where they virtually, they, they lasso, I guess, a whale and be able, and they can hold it in place. You can kill it faster, and that imposes some bleeding damage. Your medics can get the... Uh, bandage skill, which prevents bleeding damage on your crew, or they can have a, a die roll that allows them to resuscitate crew you thought were dead. Uh, there are all kinds of little things along the way. Uh, it's a very simple game. It's a game that I want to talk about more because of its... I'm not sure it's a game that knows what it is. I like a lot of it. Uh, I think it's a game that's kind of sort of halfway in the middle of what it wants to be. I like a lot of the design elements here. And it's become very popular uh, for some reason. It's kind of taken off. I see a lot of uh, strategy YouTubers picking up and playing it. And I've got friends in IRC who are playing it. It has a really nice um, style to it. We can talk about the writing and the Moby Dick pretensions in a bit. But it is really a quite straight... It's, it approaches it... It's, it's, really a quite straightforward whaling management game where you hunt whales that has tacked on its RPG mechanics with an adventure where you are Ishmael getting vengeance on Moby Dick. Ishmael has become Ahab, uh, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, Matthew, you've been playing this a lot, and the last time we had you on the show, the only time we've had you on the show, we were here. You, you were here to talk about Rule the Waves. So here you are with another naval-themed game, not that we're trying to pigeonhole you, uh, and you've been playing this quite a bit as well. Yeah, I think the thing that really stuck out with me was just the, the theme. Um, it, the, art, the art theme behind the game is very strong. The map is really impressive to me. I think they do a lot of little things well. 
such as even just having arrows that kind of show you where the the trade winds are to to how they have migratory paths between where the whales feed and then you know they move back and forth between those areas at different times of the year um but it's also a bit dark which kind of intrigues me because it, it certainly seems to fit the moby moby dick theme in that way um but the storyline gets you know without giving too much away it gets a little bit dark the further you go into it 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 starts off kind of a little bit lighthearted uh, as you get your first ship and your first crew together and you start whaling and as the as the story progresses things progressively go downhill and to me that was a little bit intriguing because i don't think you see a lot of at least the games i play you don't see a lot of strategy games that follow that that kind of a path um the crew management elements are, are interesting as well i think one of the things i like is you're you're a captain initially with basically no prestige no uh reputation but as you as you level up as you inc- improve your your prestige better and better crew members will be willing to serve under you. But you you kind of have to manage that through a prestige system of uh, every level, if you will, that a, a crew member uh, gains is one more prestige that you have to have as a captain in order to retain their services. But the the more experienced uh, sailors you have, the, the, the greater their cut is on any of the uh, the profits that you have from whaling. So it, it follows a really, I think, interesting and sort of enthralling story um and i think it does it really well yeah i want to uh talk a little bit about that story uh and i think because i have to admit up front i didn't get terribly far in this game despite having started about a half dozen or more different captains yeah i I Uh, i had a bunch of false starts too yeah and uh Basically, I had a lot of journeys end at sea in deliriums of dehydration and uh, cannibalism and a whole lot of like, there's there's a lot of push your luck uh, in this game, but I think somewhat frustratingly, but perhaps appropriately for the time, there's a lot of times you don't know you're pushing your luck uh, and you just start to have to get a feel for how the game works. Like you leave port with X number of supplies and you need, uh, you know, water rations, food rations, uh, grog rations, and then uh, wood just to maintain the ship uh, as you journey around. And every unit of these things you buy is going to last your ship at normal consumption rates, uh, you know, X number of days. So you think you've got enough, and you think you even have a little bit of a cushion uh, for this next journey, Uh, but then you go sailing out, and, you know, a month into the journey... Uh, you discover that most of your water rations have become like uh, like pools of dysentery, basically. And you can keep drinking them, uh, but then the entire crew gets sick. Or you can dump them over the side and you lose all those rations. And maybe, hopefully, you'll find a way to resupply somewhere else or you'll be near a friendly port. Uh, but the in the early stages of this game, there's a lot of uh, internalizing all the various ways that... Uh, things can go horrifically wrong uh, for a crew in the age of sail. Uh, so I kind of struggled getting, um, you know, getting my sea legs under me, as it were. Uh, I, I am really curious, just real quick. Do the odds of those misfortunes decrease if you get a better ship? Like, does your water keep spoiling? Do your do, like, does your food stop spoiling if you're not in a uh, rotten quality, uh, okay. like hell ship? 
I haven't seen the odds get better, but what I have seen is the impact is is much reduced. So if you've got a bigger ship, obviously you have a, a bigger hold, so you can you can stockpile a lot more water and still have enough uh, spare room in the hold for for your blubber that you get from the whales. Mm-hmm. So usually what I do, I, I have not had a lot of those problems because I typically build a stock of 200 days worth of everything. Uh, so that way, when I lose four or five barrels of water, it really doesn't matter because I've got another 12. And as you get a bigger crew and a bigger ship, those random events, they don't, they don't scale up. They stay at the one to four okay. you know, number a, of... This scheme is a real snowball effect problem. In that once you have a slightly bigger, the first you know, half of the game, you have this crappy sloop. And you're going to be running in. You're going to be having your crew dying of dehydration, or going crazy, or you know, just getting killed randomly in a whaling accident, what have you. But once you get a slight, once you get the next biggest ship, and you get that that second whaleboat and that much bigger cargo hold, and you can and you upgrade your cargo. All of a sudden, you're just powering through the money. Uh, I think I spent half of the game in a sloop, and. In the next half of the game, I went through Bark, Brigantine, Clipper in the same number of hours. Just how quickly you can just accumulate the money, and it becomes a much smaller problem uh, once you have uh, the bigger ships. Because, uh, as Matthew said, the, the hold makes all of the random events uh, a lot less serious. And if you lose a, a, a crew member or two, it's really not a big deal if you've got 10 uh, and you're making lots of money anyway. And you've got the prestige to replace the experience you've lost. But when you've got a small ship and you've got no prestige and you lose, you know, your really skilled uh, hunter, you really want to start over instead of, you know, powering through. Um, And it's, I mean, the the game auto saves very frequently, so you can't always, you know, pick it up at a decent point generally, um, unless, you know, you're running out of water for weeks um but there is there is just a snowball effect issue where once you've upgraded your ship the first time the money starts rolling in and all of the a lot of the fun and the challenge of being a great whaler kind of gets pushed aside because there's not as much challenge anymore hmm please ask Matthew, did you find that did you find that as well as you sort of uh expanded your hunting resources and capacity yeah, I th- my biggest frustration was I think in the initial sloop that you start off with that mm-hmm. crummy the crummy little sloop that you have is when you're whaling it it really becomes a grind especially because it seems like the first couple of uh whaling areas you uncover typically are always narwhals which are really yes. small whales. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to hunt 10 or 11 different times in some cases to fill your hold up you get back you get a couple hundred dollars and you have to keep doing that over and over again until eventually you have enough money the challenge i had when i got a bigger ship was i tended to go for the best crew members that i could afford with my prestige which meant yeah i was not dying in combat anymore but i was never making any money because the percent that i get out of every successful voyage dropped so much that my crew was getting like 75, 80% of every one of my ventures. And Whoa. I was getting a very small percentage. Um, wow. So that was my biggest challenge. And what I actually found, you could kind of break the game because when you hunt a whale and you kill it, you get its blubber, but you also get food that can be converted from whale meat. Or... And 
that is more lucrative when you get late in late into the game sell uh import when you return than the blubber action Huh, I did not notice oh, that. Oh, that's funny. I didn't yeah, I didn't realize that the uh food can become a major profit center. Definitely. And and then there's the other piece of initially when you're whaling you you get blubber, but then as you get better ships to Troy's point, you have the ability to convert that blubber to oil. Uh so you can you can make more money that way. But even so, I think my last ship when I was actually hunting uh, Moby Dick himself, um I had a 5% uh claim of all of the profits. My crew got 95%. I don't think mine ever dipped that low, which I find weird because I had like almost all max out crew. Were, yeah, I mean, were you really pushing like, were you really hiring just the best crew possible at every run? I'm just curious, like, if the game is like, does it feel like the game is building toward that where like the captain's cut just gets smaller and smaller and that's kind of how uh, you're sort of kept economically under control? To some extent, I think it also might be the fact that I have a tendency to kill a lot of my crew members. So I was always hiring new ones. I wasn't leveling them up. And mm. when you hire a free agent, if you will, um, some of those guys come in with a eight or nine percent share just by themselves. And if you've got you know eight or nine crew members, that uh, that can hurt you. I had him to hire for skills. Like if there was a a level ten craftsman, but he, but he he couldn't he couldn't turn blubber into oil. I'll take the level five guy. I mean, he's just going to sit back on the boat anyway. I'm never going to expose him to danger. What, what do I care if I've got a level 10 or level six? And I'll just improve uh, the ship's uh, uh, oil triworks. Just improve those and get more oil out of it instead of relying on the skill of my crew for that. Um, yeah, and I don't, and I don't know if it was because I went more with down a hunter path. But one of the things I found with with the game is, especially when you get to the last couple of battles, the game doesn't do a great job of telling you or, or, or communicating to you how you should set your crew up. So I tended to go hunter heavy. But if you do that, if you don't have the right skills in the last couple of battles, it basically is unwinnable until you you come back with the right crew um, to to fight. And the other problem that you have is in a lot of those battles, you can't retreat. So in some random battles, if you go and you're hunting whales and things don't look like they're going well and you're going to lose, you actually have a retreat option where you can pull out of the fight and basically cut your losses. But if you're in some of the, the storyline battles, that retreat option gets turned off and then you basically just have to sit there and watch as you die, even though you have no chance uh, to, to succeed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the way these skills work and the way you, you build your crew. Like, Troy, you discussed it a little bit, but um, let's just talk a little bit about, like, how this thing, this, this game is sort of modeling the workings of, of a whaling ship. Uh, again, like, at my low level, it was basically, uh, you know, you needed, you needed a hunter whose primary skills were just generating really good two-hit odds uh, against whales, uh, but then you also have helmsmen uh, who can have like positive effects on your uh, like on, on your speed of sailing, which just has like across the board savings in terms of wear and tear on the ship and uh, how many supplies you consume. Uh, there's ships carpenters who do repairs and like provide upkeep. Uh, but additionally, every single crew member also has like uh, traits as, as well, and uh, there, there's also morale. Uh, issues to consider in, in this game uh and yeah when i was building crews i tended to mostly focus on um if i could find somebody with positive traits i would grab them if they were affordable uh but like 
I would simply try to avoid people with negative traits uh, if I possibly could. Um, I was all about like hiring somebody like I would take somebody who was like mid level or low level and just like a completely blank slate and hope that, you know, the uh, rolls of the die would eventually turn that person into somebody with a lot of uh, positive traits. Like I loved having a good teetotal aboard the ship because uh, rum co- like grog rations uh, were consumed more slowly. Uh, but did you feel like crew management was an interesting or rewarding part of the game or did it feel like you were just kind of going into port, replenishing whoever died on the last voyage and uh, heading back out? I think this wants to be, or would like to be, uh, and I think could evolve into in a future iteration, one of those expeditions games, like Expedition Vikings or Expedition Conquistador. They want to have all of these mix of traits and have them interact in interesting ways. Occasionally you'll have events pop up. Uh, you interact with the crew member and you have a percentage chance of their traits changing or your traits changing. Um, you know, you can have, maybe you become a, 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 raging, a raging xenophobe. And therefore, you get morale penalties with non-American uh, crew members, or you have the two total benefit, or you have, or you're funny, and people like having a funny captain because Jean-Luc Picard was hilarious. Uh, there's this, well, there's this effort to put in this crew management and morale, but you know, as long as my morale sunk, there was never a mutiny. I kind of wonder if that is even a possibility, if there's, like, how low can my morale go? Yeah, I took some pretty heavy blows to morale, and I don't think I actually had negative morale events trigger from it. So, I I'm, I, I was, like, I kind of avoided, you know, negative traits for the most part, but, you know, if I needed... Um, a certain type of helmsman because they can go out with you in the whaling boat and they can cancel whale cards uh, if you have a really good helmsman with you, which is really, really important. I found that, you know, midway through the game. Bring along a sailor and they can cancel the whale's attack cards. Perfect. And sometimes that was much more important to me than if they were, okay, so they'll eat a little bit more food. Uh, When you're a little late in the game, food is not a big issue because you can just, you know... You just get to kill the, a giant blue whale. You're fine for food. Um, so if they're gourmet and eat a little bit more food, that's fine. Early in the game, though, that's something you might want to consider. But generally, the crew, it's a game that I think would should have, and I think it aspires to, more character interaction, more crew interaction. So much of the focus is on your character's story of revenge. Um and your crew do often become replaced very much just cogs, even though they have these traits. Um, the traits become the important. So they have, they, have this, they have these traits, but really all you, that's important are the skills in the long run. Uh, I think it aspires to more than it actually is. I think it's a game. I would love to see Nantucket 2, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that completely. The skills are vital, in, especially in combat. Um, and then to, to a lesser degree for your craftsmen to be able to turn that, that oil into, or the blubber into oil. But the, the traits I never found influence really anything of any import in, when I was playing. And by the end of the game, I was just kind of ignoring them. And a lot of those random events that, that pop up that can change your crew members' traits, I kind of just ignored them as well because they never seemed to have an impact on, on how the game played. Yeah, I, the game that I was thinking of a lot while I was playing Nantucket was uh, Thea the Awakening. Okay. Uh, because in terms of just the card-driven uh, action, 
uh, in terms of the focus on trying to imbue this like resource management uh, and risk mitigation game with a lot of character and personality. Um, Nantucket feels in some ways like a less developed version of that. Where like Thea, perhaps just through the simple brute force of the way Thea has just a ton of scripted events and quest lines and event chains you can stumble into. Uh, Thea creates this feeling of you being in this really uh, wide open world full of possibilities uh, and mysteries. And the game could keep surprising you for a, a long, long time. And every, and pretty much every journey outside your settlement in Thea was in some way memorable. Uh, something would, would happen after those initial like forays uh, where you're really just like, you know, grinding up your guys and figuring out what the immediate surroundings were. Uh, Thea started to feel like every time your your little party adventured beyond the uh, perimeter, you were going on some kind of adventure. I think Nantucket maybe wants to be that, uh, but I'm not even sure. I'm not like that's that's me trying to mind read. I don't know because if they wanted to be that, they probably would have thrown more in more events. But definitely, the lack I felt was I wanted more curveballs and more interesting, uh, like random narrative events thrown into just the average journey. I suppose. I just wanted a better whaling management sim. I mean, that's all this narrative stuff is great. The crew management's okay, a little bit fun. But why not build a fleet? You know, why not, you know, you command one ship and you have a bunch of others you also have to manage and make sure that they don't break off and form their own rival whaling concerns. And, you know, something like, I guess we talked about this on the podcast, the last podcast, you know, one of these uh, guild port royal type things, but you're a whaler and you actually have to fight out the battles and make it more of a whaling game and less of a story driven game. Um, not that the story-driven stuff is bad or not, but this is a game that is, I think, divided against itself. I think that the 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 whale combat and managing the crew to get a good profit, uh, especially in the early going, where you do have to have issues with you know how how big a whale can I take on? You know, I'm only finding the adult whales now. Am I can I handle that, or should I just start picking on the uh, the uh, narwhals for a little bit longer? Uh, th that stuff I thought was really, really good. And then you have all of this, all of these events. And you're right, Rob. There's a there's a lot less sense of you know danger and adventure. Uh, and even once you push past the horns, and you know you you go out to Madagascar, you go out to the Pacific Ocean, and you end up in the the the, the denouement, the, the eerie, spooky denouement in the North Pacific. It ends up not really feeling like there's danger so much as not that you're stepping into adventure, but you're stepping into the next page of the plot, which is not quite the same thing. I mean, even though, you know, Thea's only had a limited number of events, you didn't know when they were going to pop up. Uh, they were often quite distinct. You only had that one base you could go to. So you had to get out there and get back uh, to do your upgrades or what have you. And this has a lot of danger to start. And then when it wants you to be intimidated with the real danger final showdown, it's kind of anticlimactic, which I think is kind of a problem for a game that's trying to tell you this epic story. 
Yeah, I think my main complaint was that there's there's really no incentive once you've got a good ship to continue hunting whales because there's nothing to spend your money on. To your point, it's not a port royal. You can't build up this massive whaling empire if you want. Um, and once you get to that point, the story just falls away really quickly. There's a couple of side quests which give you some objects which allow you to have additional damage or a faster sailing ship. So you can earn these objects through a handful of side quests. But the main storyline just, it, it is very, it's pretty short um, once you get a decent ship. And at that point, a lot of the appeal of the game kind of fades away because you're just going from point A to point B. There's not a, not a huge challenge until you get to the very end, uh, which was pretty challenging for me again, because the game, I don't think did a great job of communicating how I should be building my crew until I got to the end and there was a giant brick wall and I had to go back and figure out what I did wrong. Um, and to your point, I really wasn't paying attention to having a well-balanced crew with a good number of skills. So that's on me, but I, I felt like the game could have done a better job of telling me that. Um, but yeah, the storyline is really quick once you have a good ship and it doesn't have the empire building of something like pirates or, or Port Royal. And pirates is an interesting comparison because this is a game, it's, it's about whaling, but so many of the missions are, can you take my crap to the other side of the world? And you're loading cargo and going from the Azores to Hawaii. And it's not a huge profit, but if there's story stuff on the other side of the globe, yeah, I'll take your cargo and I'll go to the Pacific and then I'll follow the story stuff that's over there. And unlike, you know, pirates where, yeah, you can be a merchant, you can haul crap from, you know, Puerto Rico to Panama, but that's not fun. And the game doesn't want you to do that. The game wants you to be raiding vessels and this game should be wanting to make you whale instead of make you want to do escort missions and milk runs from Peterhead to Mantucket. So I am curious. I I meant to get on this direction a little earlier, but um, talking about that plot a, a little bit uh, without maybe spoiling too much, uh, as, as you said at the beginning, you are Ishmael, you know, you accept your version of Ishmael that apparently went on the last voyage of the Pequod and learned nothing. Uh, except I better kill that goddamn whale, uh, which I'm not. I'm not 100% sure is thematically consistent uh, with the takeaways from the book itself, from uh, from, from the novel itself. Uh, but I, I am kind of curious. Like uh, Matthew, you said it starts getting pretty dark, and, and Troy, you mentioned the the Deuma, uh starts getting like genuinely eerie, uh, and I am just curious uh, what like. Just talk, a spot talk me where through I can that. Sacrifice bit. one of my crew members if I want. I mean, that doesn't give anything away, but, but yeah. there's it. It the storyline gets progressively more dark, and it feels like your character's kind of becoming possessed, if you will, by by Ahab. It feels more like I'm Ahab, and I had survived, and I was obsessed with getting after Moby Dick rather than the actual storyline of the novel. I think Troy, you could probably speak more to toward the novel of Moby Dick, but that's what it felt like to me. It didn't feel like I was Ishmael. We have all of these quests related to the Rachel as well. Now, if you haven't read um, Moby Dick, the Rachel is the ship that rescues Ishmael at uh, the very end of the story. And Rachel apparently mysteriously vanishes or something, and its crew 
gets abandoned. The captain goes, you know, uh, apocalypse now, the jungles of Madagascar, and he has secrets for you. And somehow this is all connected to Moby Dick. Wasn't quite sure if Moby Dick took down the Rachel as well. Is you know, this Moby Dick hunting Ishmael? Is this, you know, some weird stuff going on? But it really does. It, it's like if Hollywood was to make a Moby Dick 2 in the 70s, this is what it would have been. You know, Moby Dick 2, though now it's more vengeance time, uh, only with 19th century flowery language, because it's, it is it is Ishmael driven by fear of the whale, obsession with the whale, and it's a quest that's kind of very low level at the beginning of the game. You know, it's best to go find what happened to the Rachel. And then all of a sudden it is, I've got to come and kill this. I've got to kill this cursed whale, um, which is, you know, as you said, Rob, it's kind of not what the the book's message is. No, do not go kill the whale. The whale is an avatar of God. The whale is a representation of the almighty power of nature. You do not go up against God, you lunatic. Um, and you do end up having to take, do religious, spiritual stuff, mystical things in order to have the ability to take down uh, Moby Dick at the end. And, you know, it's it's dramatically written. The art is outstanding throughout this. I think, you know, the art is very evocative. It looks like, you know, Scrimshaw-type stuff, only very elaborately done. Uh, I, I And the music is really quite good, except for the final ballad, which I think is not good at all. Uh, but generally, the music through the game is good, and it keeps up the good pace. But the, the story is... It's I I was my jaw was dropping as I was reading this like this is this is just so not what Moby Dick was about. It would be more interesting. See, throughout the game there are other monster other monsters to kill. You can get quests in ports. Say, hey, there's this giant whale, and he's causing trouble. Go and kill him for reward. Now you always give them really awful names. They're all procedurally generated. None of it, Jeff. I think is my favorite. Like none of it, Jeff. There's a terrifying monster name. Then uh, you go up to Baffin Island and you kill this giant whale. They're tough to kill, but you bring them back. That would be interesting if they were to create their own Moby Dick-ish story uh, of why can't he create his own nemesis? Why does he have to go back and take Ahab's nemesis? You know. And and I think the game. My my view is the storyline does a good job of showing. I think what it's it is kind of trying to show is your descent into madness. At least that's right. my impression because it goes from to your point. All right, let's go find Moby Dick. To really, who are we all going to hurt along the way of trying to find Moby Dick? And and anything that yeah. gets in your way is kind of an obstacle to overcome. Generally, killing. Um, but I think my biggest my biggest issue with that is it's not really the side quest that you talk about. So you, you've got that that main quest, but the side quest that you talk about, there really is no story. There's a little blurb. You go into a into a port. There's a little blurb in a newspaper that says, "Unveil the Nightingale's Destiny." It says, "You know, there's a there's another ship here that was lost at sea, uh, and you need to go find out what happened to it." And you'll go on the map, and, and this is one of the side quests. And you'll you'll find essentially one or two blurbs about it. Maybe it was destroyed by pirates. Maybe it was attacked by sharks. Whatever it was. And then you'll get a little bit of money for coming back into port, having found that out. 
but there really isn't much of a story around anything outside of the main quest. Um, and again, once you get a decent ship, you can power through that main storyline so quickly. It's just, to your point, I don't think it knows what it's trying to be. Yeah, I think, yeah, in, in some ways this feels very much like it is uh, trying to retell the the basic themes of Moby Dick itself, uh, but position itself as a sort of uh, sequel uh, somehow. I'm not entirely sure that that bargain really works, uh, but I... I think the thing, the things I enjoy about this game, I find myself there was wishing, I find myself wishing there was a bit more to, to all of it, uh, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure that, it, for me, I'm, I'm not actually sure that I want this game to become a uh, wailing empire management sim, uh, like, like you do, Troy. I think I'm okay with the sort of the the event the the overlapping part of the Venn diagram that this game is striking I just wish that there was more to do within that space uh right I wish each aspect uh was a little more fleshed out uh and that includes you know some of the basic uh mechanics of it which like I'm not sure I really like I wasn't thrilled by the car the 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 combat the the the, the card game uh that, that you're playing there I didn't to me, it felt so because there was because there were the, the die rolls on top of it. Uh, it felt very, and maybe I just need to get far, farther along in the game. But I felt like on any given turn, I didn't actually have that many like interesting choices to make. Like by and large, I had the good option, and then maybe, and then maybe a a safe option, and then maybe a damage restoration option. You know, like I could do I could do a heal, I could mitigate an attack, uh, or I could do some damage. But like it it never it never felt to me like there were a lot of interesting dynamics at play. Uh, maybe that changes as you get deeper into the game. It certainly sounds like this uh, the final battle against Moby Dick is uh, you know worthy of the name. But for me, I just, yeah, for, for me, I just, I wasn't ever excited by, uh, you know, battles against pirates or, uh, you know, sending the whale boats out. It all started to feel pretty routine. Well, the, the, the pirate battles are awful. I mean, they're, you're, because you're, you're kidding out your crew, your hunters, to be that you can, they're, you can only have so many active skills on a character at a time. Um, and if your whalers, if your hunters are skill are kitted out to be hunters for whales, they're not going to be good in necessarily uh, land combat or person-to-person combat. Um, you don't have much control over how your characters develop, which is kind of my issue. They kind of they level up kind of on their own and pick their own skills. It seems, uh, which is kind of weird. So if you only have the man at arms skills, you have a guy there. In your pirate battles, who's just going to be throwing his harpoon more or less, or that because all this, all the other dice that you've opted out, that you've that fourth die you've chosen for, you know, whaling its whaling power is wasted. You can't you can't use fasten on a pirate. Um, so the, the 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 whole idea of including that was kind of I just paid them off in the end. I mean, I just yeah, how little money I had, I just paid them off. Until I got a ship that could put a gun on it, and I just upgraded the gun. 
Um, the pirate battles are not good. I mean, I'm not going to say that the card battles are outstanding, that the dice battles and the whale combat is outstanding. Because uh, really, I mean, I, I take your point. There aren't a lot of tough decisions. A tough decision is in, you know, how do I build a crew to do this well? Who do I hire to match my priorities? How do I, if I don't have enough, you only have 10 slots. Um, so how do you fit those out? You don't need three doctors, do you? So what do you put in the other slot on the third boat? You have nine, you have, you have, you have to, to 10 crew, a maximum of nine crew on the boats, which sounds great. But that means you could put somebody else in that third slot. And who is it going to be? You're not going to waste space with a doctor. Is it going to be another sailor? Is it going to be another hunter? Um, what can you afford to lose? Who gets the medic this time around? Um, always the captain, because if the captain dies, your game's over. So really the strategy is in deciding there aren't a whole lot of options, but what you kind of want your deck to look like when you're in those big battles, especially when you're fighting, you know, two or three elder whales, um, you know, which... Who gets the skilled helmsman for this? Who gets the doctor who has resuscitation? How many hunters do you want to take on this trip? Um, is there a slot you just want to put in and out? You know, you just go into, you have just nine crew, and then you hire a hunter or a helmsman or whatever, and then you're a support, and then go out and hunt in the migration grounds. So there are kind of options in how you build that deck, but I do take your point that. Since you only get one action per whale boat, not per character, your options do generally come down to am I going to do damage or avoid damage? I mean, Matthew, you got probably, it sounds like you got pretty far along uh, with, you know, with the game. Uh, I, I'm curious, like, did the encounters just become trivial for you? Like, I mean, it sounds like you're making money hand over fist, but I'm curious if the tactics aspect of the state interesting um i would agree with troy i i don't and, and you as well but it really comes down to how do you set your crew up once you're in combat it's kind of already decided for you based on the traits and the skills that your crew has sure there's a little bit of decision on you know how many how many medics am i going to deploy how many hunters am i going to deploy but i never really found a reason to equip my crew as anything but whalers. There are some interesting traits that, that crew members can have that are only useful against fighting humans. Um, and likewise, there's traits that can be used that only are useful against fighting whales. But the number of human encounters in general was so limited um, that I always found myself equipping my, my crew whales. And once you got into combat, it was kind of, okay, if everybody in the boat's in good shape, you're going to fasten or you're going to strike at the whale and do damage. If someone's about to die, then you might use your medic. Or, um, you know, if if the whole boat's in danger, maybe you'll use a trait that allows you to, to knock out an incoming card that's going to do damage to you. Um, so there wasn't a lot of... You kind of had three choices in any individual whale boat in the event. And it all seemed pretty straightforward. It didn't seem like there was a lot to, to think about to me. But I still enjoyed it. I'd still like, because there was always some tension involved. If I sent my crew on their own, someone was going to die. So I preferred to go out there and do the whaling myself. So if somebody died, their blood was on my hands. You know, I was the one who couldn't save them. 
It was, and there are, you know, you get bad roles, and you know, there's a gambling element to it. And I really enjoyed uh, the whaling battles much more than, I mean, yeah, they're simple, but I had a lot of fun doing them. I liked it a lot more than the land battles. I think we can all agree the pirate stuff's kind of all kind of weak because uh, the game's really not built for that. But I really, really liked. Uh, the whaling battles. I like, you know, trying to, especially when they got really hard, when you did have, in the midpoint, where you don't have three whaling boats, you only have two whaling boats, and then you have, you know, three adult whales, three adult sperm whales coming at you. It's like, okay, this is actually going to be tough. Um, and it is about, you know, who do you target? Where do you target? What does the field look like? Because each turn of combat, there is a random effect on the field which can, you know, stun one of your crew members or it can negate certain bonuses uh, that either side has. And yeah, it's kind of cheesy uh, way to run the combat and make things uh, add variety to it. But I really, really got into it. I mean, I'm, even though there's really probably no sane mechanical reason to explain why, I enjoyed the whale combat. Did you find yourself using the objects a lot? Because I didn't notice them until the very end of the game when there's one that you absolutely need. But as you play through the game and you accomplish different quests or different side quests, you you gain different objects which give you can assign to your crew as well as yourself that give you different traits or give them different traits. Uh, and in certain combat scenarios, they can actually be an additional combat die that you can roll that you can land on. Did you find that intriguing? Yeah, I mean, I used the objects. I made sure everyone had an object uh, because I, I couldn't miss having to use objects because in the interminable loading screens uh, between things, there was a big one, great big one that has a whole row of objects. Oh, what is that? There are objects. Uh, so yeah, I there you you get a pistol about halfway through, which is really good in if you do end up having to fight um, humans. Uh, there are there are great spears you can get. Uh, there's one great one great object you pick up, which is a, 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 it, it's a, a natural history of whales, and it has all the migration routes marked on it. So you give that to the guy in the crow's nest, and it just sail by a migration route. It's marked on your map, and there are all of these. You know, the objects are actually quite quite helpful. Um, if they give different bonuses if the captain's holding it or if somebody at a certain job is holding it. Um, the objects, I, I think they are, most of them have passive effects, but the ones that add extra extra dice rolls, extra combat rolls, they would give you generally a leveled up character would have four of six dice faces having an effect. Uh, if you get some objects, will give you five of six, which means only one of your uh, dies has a chance of being a total loser thing. Uh, so they're quite quite helpful and really should not be ignored. But to do them, you have to finish side quests uh, along the way. Sometimes, you know, doing a treasure run for one of your uh, crew members or chasing down some guy in Spain. I'm still not quite sure what that bass quest was about. Uh, and there are a bunch of other small side quests you can pick up along the way, and the rewards are generally going to be objects that give you special abilities. And I they think... Can... Go ahead. I was just going to say those side quests can also be disastrous. I was playing the other day, and I occasionally your crew members will ask you to basically do something for them. Sometimes you're hunting for treasure. Sometimes they just want to go home because a family member's sick or something like that. And I got one. I went to Florida. Uh, apparently... Uh, my crew member went home and his sister's husband shot him 
because he thought he was having an affair with his sister. Um, and then I got another one within a couple of minutes that sent me to Florida again. This time my crew member committed suicide when they found out that their family was dead. And then I got a third in a row where my crew member ended up dead for some other reason. I think and this it was, was all just random. It didn't like tie back to like stuff you'd done. No, not nothing that you had done. It was just random, and every one of them was in Florida. Is there a Florida man joke <laughs> being made in this game? That's I don't know. They're the only times I've ever had my crew members killed by these random quests, which do pop up kind of all over the map. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I've lost a bunch of people in squalls. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a strange one. Um, I am a little curious, you know, Troy, something you often talk about is like, uh, you know, the, the hidden curricula of, of different games. Um, what do you make of like, I mean, fundamentally this game is kind of endorsing, you know, Ishmael's basically become Ahab, uh, in some ways, in a lot of ways, the game is also portraying the ocean as a place where, men do mortal combat against sea monsters, uh, basically. And even a baby narwhal uh, is in some way trying to, like, murder a whale boat, whale boat's worth of crew. <laughs> uh, and I guess I am just, like, what, what, what do you make of this? Uh, because as far as we know, like, in general, in general, like, humans were not menaced by whales uh, during this time. Like, you know, whaling yeah. itself was dangerous, but it's not like... It was very rare that, like, you'd have an incident. It was... the Like, the Essex is a famous incident uh, because, holy shit, a whale sank a, a whaler. Uh, that was an extraordinary, like, practically literally once-in-a-lifetime event um, th that occurred. But in this game's... In this game's fiction, uh, you know... The whales are out there, and they're waiting for you. It's really interesting what they do with the whales. I mean, some of them, they have the narwhals, which will go after you with their tusks, which narwhals do not do. It's just not a thing. Um, humpback whales will sometimes just poke you a little bit, and they're not really dangerous. They'll just blip you, and they're really—I mean, you can make so much money from humpback whales because they're virtually harmless in the game. Um, they never do a whole lot of damage, maybe six damage here and there. Um, unlike, you know, sperm whales, which will sink your ship, or blue whales, which will try to you know, swamp you and breach and drag you down. And this game also really hates sharks. Sharks are the most dangerous creatures in the world uh, in this game. You know, you, they'll, you'll often get uh, mess quests to, oh, check out this whaling area. And you go to the whaling area and it, nope, it's sharks. And instead of saying, well, nope, sharks, get back in the boat and sail away, it's, nope, sharks, now you got to fight them. Like, why? Why am I fighting sharks? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's no reason for me to fight sharks. So it, it does have this, um, it does have this, you know, I guess, period and before. I mean, really, this idea of, you know, sea is the last unconquered world. It is a land full of, you know, sea monsters and dangers. And instead of the real dangers of the sea uh, in the 19th century, which would have been, first of all, not really pirates. There weren't exactly pirates in the Caribbean in the 19th century. It's not that many. That's a couple of hundred years too late. Um, but, you know, it would be it would be storms. It would be squalls. It would be mutinies. It would be... Uh, you would not often have crews starving at sea, but they would get scurvy, and they would have to be, you know, 
taken off. Um, bankruptcy was probably the biggest problem of, of, of whalers uh, that he had to face more than anything else. Um, I mean, I couldn't stop at the Galapagos and pick up t t tortoises to eat. I mean, there should be a subquest for there. I just eat giant tortoises on Galapagos Island because I understand they're very tasty. Uh, so it, you're right. It does have this kind of odd message that you are always that you are at war with nature. But then that is the message of Moby Dick, right? Moby Dick is that nature is a malevolent force. The whole that and it is managed by a careless god who does not care, who does not have any interest in the justice of man. Ahab thinks that because he lost his leg, God should punish Moby Dick. Well, God is Moby Dick. Uh, nature is, you know, callous and uncaring. Um, and that's just the way things are, and you've got to suck it up. You've got, and so, I, so in that way, it's kind of in tune with the themes of the book. But yeah, it is a little bit weird. You know, oh, here's some narwhals. This will be easy. And it kind of is, but, or it should be. But, you know, it's just your first crew, and they've got nine hit points, and there's only three of them, and they get stabbed by a narwhal. Um, that's not how it worked. That's not how any of this works. And there are a lot of other uh, things that are kind of from the hidden curriculum perspective, it's not even that all that hidden. You know, messages of the, the, the final battle requires uh, mystical intervention by Pacific First Nations who, you know, have to put you in tune with nature to give you this magical weapon. But to do this, you know, somebody's blood has to, has to pay for it. And it's like, this is like no hide a thing I've ever heard of in my life. But it is the kind of story that, you know, a 19th century crew would make up. It's kind of story they tell about cannibal savages. Uh, so this game kind of walks in that path between what whaling was and what whalers told people they were, the tall tales they would tell uh, when they came back home. Um, I think it leans a bit more towards, you know, the tall tales of, well, yes, little Johnny, I had to outrun pirates off the coast of Jamaica. And no, you didn't, but little Johnny doesn't know that. Um, so I think that might be, that's probably a very, maybe it's a generous interpretation, but I think it's a fair interpretation of what's going on. This is a, a book that takes stories, that tries to build on the greatest whaling story ever told, one of the greatest novels in American history. It doesn't nearly rise to that level, but it's at least conscious that it's a fiction. Um, and... Maybe part of that fiction is if you find sharks, you have to fight them because those are the <laughs> rules of the ocean. That's the. <laughs> if you encounter, yeah, it's very, yeah, the ocean is like Fight Club. Uh, and yeah, if you find sharks, uh, you have no choice. Um, I think the game is also trying to do something similar uh, to what you're describing there in terms of its worldview uh, when it comes to uh, like gayness, queerness. Um, a thing that comes up a fair bit in this game is that you will find, uh, you know, crewmen, all your crew are male, uh, engaged in, uh, you know, sexual behavior. Um, and what's interesting and uncomfortable is like the, the terminology the game uses is entirely archaic, right? Uh, gay men are in, in this game's uh, lexicon, uh, they are sodomites. Right. But at the same time, 
there is not like you do not actually have to become like a homophobe in the game. Like you can tolerate that among your crew. And yes, the crew have like the sodomite trait or whatever, but it does kind of reflect that in that period, there were some people who viewed it as, uh, you know, basically as, you know, an unforgivable sin. Uh, Anyone caught in it should be lashed publicly. And you can do that. Uh, You can engage in that kind of uh, like violent homophobic behavior. Uh, Or you can also just sort of like live and let live, or you can, uh, you can also, uh, uh, play as a gay character yourself uh and occasionally if you encounter uh crewmen uh engaged in sex uh ask to join in um but then of course there's a high risk of contracting a uh you know fatal disease uh doing that and i'm again not sure where i come down with this uh it is in some ways a bit like the like the aubrey maturin novels uh written in a way that is meant to reflect uh, the values and language of a certain period. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not entirely sure it does enough with these themes to justify the way they're included at all, if that makes sense. I mean, it's, I mean, the whole sodomite thing is like one of your, you can call him a sodomite, that's one of the options. You call him a sodomite. The other two options in that thing are, you know, ignore them or join them or what have you. Uh, so, you know, it's not, I mean, Crusader Kings 2 has a penalty for homosexuality as well. Um, and I think, I mean, because it, it is something that was historically common on these ships. This was not something that did not happen. Um, and I think most captains, most of the time, just ignored it. Uh, you know, it's the Royal Navy, you know, r- r- rum, rum sodomy in the, r- yeah. the lash. That's just how it worked. And that's just, it's how the, that's, you're at sea for a long time and you get to know your crew members and relationships develop. Um, it's, you know, not, it's, it's going to happen. And it's, it is an odd event that happens, but I think it's, it is a recognition that it did. Uh, I think it's, it's, Maybe I'm not saying it's unusual, but it's interesting that that happens more often than than mutinies, uh, which because you know I was not always good to my crew. Um, I probably should have been uh, abandoned somewhere in New Zealand. Um, but there, there are the the limited number of events I think makes those type makes that pop up more often than you would think it should. Um, but you know it's, it, it, but you're right. It is, and it's interesting. I think they do have, they do try to have. You are trying to role play, I guess, a captain in that period who would have these choices. You could be, you know, one of these Bildad types preaching uh, a fire and brimstone gospel. Was that Bildad or the other guy? Oh gosh, I don't remember. I'm trying to think. I got my character screwed up. Anyway, there's an angry like, creature. Look, Spark. Like, I read the Moby Dick Spark Notes and select passages of Moby Dick. If I'm being honest, if you, there's, there's a movie with Patrick Stewart and both Gregory Peck as oh, well. Oh, that movie. That movie fucking owns. Yeah. The Saint Elmo's okay. Fire scene is pretty tremendous. Um. So yeah, it's um. There are the the. 
there i wish there was more of an effort for it to be you know kind of of its period uh more of an effort to have i mean you don't need to have pirates um but like i said you know this is this is a fiction and that's fine i do like they have hawaii as an independent country that's kind of cool um and you can pick up your Hawaiians. I mean, there's uh, there's somewhere again in the tutorial you can hire a character named Queequeg. Named Queequeg. The Queequeg is is actually dead. Uh, the tutorial I have him there, and he is the whitest looking Queequeg I ever saw. Um, he should be a Pacific Islander, uh, and he should also be dead. But that's the tutorial. Well, the tutorial is Ahab's voyage, right aboard the Pequod. Uh, so uh, he's alive for that one. That's right. And he should, uh, and but he should be not very white looking. Uh, but otherwise, you know, the character portraits are quite well done. Uh, they the use of the use of the period sea shanties. I never got bored of them, even though they I liked it a lot. lot. They never they, they repeat a lot, but I never got bored of them. They were awesome. My my biggest complaint was that I never got to listen to them because they would start up, and five seconds later, I would be in a port or I would be somewhere where they would stop. Um, but those are really well done. They're like good renditions too. Like it's a type of music that like can easily become grating, uh, but like a good rendition, and they are in this game. I was pretty much on board with all the music, uh, like choices they made. I may have started singing more than one time. Ah! I, I mean, the those songs are designed to make you sing along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, where where are we at with the with this game overall? Uh, in terms of like recommendations, in terms of like how you feel about your time with it, my view, I, the thing that I loved or love about this game because I'm still playing it a fair amount is just the overall art style behind it. Um, I think the map design is really strong as well. So I enjoy spending time in the atmosphere that it creates. I think my biggest complaint is there isn't enough there. Um, so you know, if you're looking for a game that's a little bit of a grind at the start. But uh, you just want to kind of immerse yourself in, in sort of a, a period, if you will. I think it does a good job. Um, but if you're looking for a really deep and elongated story, I think that you kind of burn through that kind of. Yeah, it took me, I have eight hours total in it, and I think I'm done with it um, because I've, I've beat the story. What's left for me to do? I mean, once you once you win, once you've completed the story, the game ends for you. You can't say, "Do you want to keep hunting for whales or not?" It's it's over once you kill Moby Dick. And it's eight hours. And like I said, I had a lot of false starts. This is Picaresque's first game, as far as I can tell. Uh, they're a small studio, and this is, I think, reasonably priced at around twenty dollars. So if you've got twenty dollars, you want to spend on a like nice, interesting experience that you might. See where you follow down this discussion. I I can recommend it for that. I'm really really looking forward to the next game. There is, I think there are some design issues here based on what kind of game they're trying to make. Um, I do think the snowball effect where it just gets so super easy once you get that second whale boat, and with the third whale boat, it's pretty much game over. Um, I think they that is something, but that's just something that, you know a lot of strategy games have problems with and a lot of rpgs have problems with you know you've already maxed out your armor you have the biggest sword you've got tons of arrows you know what can stand against you um and this game has that issue as well um but it's a kind of it's a very very good first game 
Well, and they did make some comments. Someone was asking in their Steam forums if there was anything you could spend money on other than ships, and they their response was not at this time. So I don't know if they're intending to add anything to this or if this is kind of a you know the final the final effort. But um, to your point, I really am intrigued to see what comes next because the theme and the art is is very well done. It's just a matter of I think adding and and refining some pieces of the gameplay. And the interface is really good. It's got a really good UI and really strong art. Uh, so I'm, it's a game that I have a lot of design issues with, but one that I have a huge amount of affection for. Yeah, that's about where I've ended up as well. I think, um, you know, Matthew, you mentioning that they were saying that at this time. I think one thing that I would really look forward to with this game, in addition to looking forward to the next game, uh, if I ever get news that there's like a content update that just dropped for Nantucket, like, I will probably be back on board for that too, right? Like if there's just more adventure. It reminds me of, um, I think this was either Alexis Kennedy or uh, somebody else involved with Stellaris uh, saying that one of their big takeaways from uh, the story pack, I think they released in early 2017, if memory serves, uh, was that however much story, however much narrative you feel like you've crammed into a game, uh, particularly a strategy game, uh, players will burn through it much faster than than you ever think possible. Uh, and I, I do suspect that maybe there's a bit of that happening here as well, that, you know, it's it's easy to play a game like this and feel like, like more stuff should have happened uh, in your time with it. But at the same time, I think the sheer number of repeated events we've seen like time and time again uh, suggests that if there was a little bit more of Nantucket in Nantucket, uh, the the game would be stronger as a whole. But I'm still, uh, you know, very on board with the, uh, you know, with the, with the journey it takes you on. Uh, and I think if there were just a little more uh, story, some of the choices they made might seem a little less odd uh, because there'd be more narrative context around them. Uh, but either way, it's a really interesting game, uh, really gorgeously executed in a lot of ways and uh, something that I'm very glad I played. So thank you, Troy, for, for saying, Hey, we should, we need to do a show on this. Uh, it was a good call. Well, Matthew was said, Matthew suggested it as well. He said, when we were talking about it on Twitter, he said, you know, this might be something want to do a show on and I'm available. So there we go. All right. Well, uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and his host in the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of, th- episode of Three Moves Ahead. I am, man, my pronunciation has gone to hell in a handbasket. It's like January, January was into, such a long month, and my brain's completely fried. Uh, yeah, I think my accent has just become like shit-hammered Canadian, maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Matthew and for Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>